Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, guys. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2 today. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles in the back there for you, right next to the AV booth. We want to make sure you got the Word of God in your hand here and also to take that home with you. Well, as you turn there, let me do a, a quick review. Last Sunday, we had Pastor Thomas Amos teach us James chapter 1. And I love the book of James. I love me some James. Uh, it is so wise. It is so practical. I wanted to focus in on, on one thing that he talked about here in, in verse 19. Uh, he's, James writes this, My dear brothers and my sisters, understand this, that everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, I had to laugh when Thomas told me that he was going to be teaching this text because the Sunday prior, the Holy Spirit taught us about anger in Matthew's gospel. And by the way, just so you all know, out of the three, three plus years that I've been here uh, preaching, I've never received so much feedback on a sermon than that one, and it was on anger. So God's clearly speaking loudly uh, so for those of us who ignored the sermon two weeks ago, God brought Tom to reiterate some things. And some people think that God doesn't have a sense of humor. Obviously, he does. So let me, uh, let me review from Matthew's gospel two weeks ago. We, we looked at, at the text commonly known as the massacre of the children or the, the massacre of the innocents. And this is where King Herod murdered the children of Bethlehem. Uh, so we looked at why Herod was so angry. The Holy Spirit told us that, the Holy, that Herod flew into a rage. So one of, key, one of the key points from that sermon was that anger is evidence of our pride. Anger is evidence of our pride. And we, we discussed how the most common reason that we get mad is because somebody is in the way of what we want to do. We also discussed three sources of anger. Um, because the person that you're angry with, it's, it's not really the real reason you're angry. Uh, that's a surface level issue, right? So we discussed three root causes or sources of anger. We said that we get angry because our heart is wounded. We said that we get angry because of fear and worry. And we, we talked about how we get angry because of our own frustration. So that's all a review from, from two weeks ago. If you missed that sermon, it is on the website for you. But today the Holy Spirit's going to teach us what happens after King Herod dies. So remember, Herod was the one who wasn't able to kill Jesus as he planned. So Herod got angry. Herod got angry because his plans were disrupted by God. See, Herod thought that the Magi tricked him. But it was really God who 
caused a divine disruption to both Herod's plans and the Magi's traveling schedule. So Herod, he ends up losing his mind, he flies into this rage, and he chooses to murder babies. A year or so goes by, uh, Herod ends up dying, and now Matthew, what he does, he flashes back to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and they are in Egypt. So this is where we're going to pick up the narrative for today. Uh, if you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. We're going to look at verses 19 through 23 today, but I do want to start in verse 1, because all of these smaller stories, they are... We don't want to forget the context of what we're talking about here. There's a larger narrative, so we, I, I want to go through uh, chapter 2 before we get to the main text. So starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and asked where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." And then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary. Falling to their knees, they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, Flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and they escaped to Egypt, and he stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. And then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into a rage he gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time that he had learned from the wise men. And then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, a great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. And then after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, because those who intended to kill the child, they are dead. So he got up, he took the child and his mother, he entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod was afraid to go there. 
being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee, and then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, I thought about my ways and I turned my steps back to your decrees. I hurried, not hesitating, to keep your commands. So Father, we're going to see this in Joseph today. Please teach us your word. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. So let's take a deeper look here at verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So here in verse 19, we've got a transition in today's narrative. In verses 16 through 18, Matthew told us what happened when Jesus, Mary, and Joseph fled from Bethlehem to Egypt, but the the text featured on, on Herod. Now, Matt is focusing back on Jesus, Mary, and Joseph living in Egypt. So there could be a gap here between, uh, of several years, really, between verses 18 and 19. So verse 19 says, after Herod died, after he died. Anyone interested in how King Herod, quote, unquote, the great, died? Do you think, do you think Herod finished life well? at the end of of Herod's life, he was in a a tremendous amount of physical pain. Why? Well, it's said that he had maggots in his organs. He had constant seizures. He had foul breath. I'm not talking about his speech. I'm talking about the odor from his breath, from his mouth. Now, if I were a betting man, call me Captain Obvious here, but I'm, I'm thinking, I'm guessing that the way that Herod died is not a coincidence. Because there are repercussions to living your life in defiance to God. Regardless, Herod's dead. Verse 19 continues, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So, Joe has another dream here. Now, if you were Joe at this point, would you be a little timid to even go to sleep? What's Mary thinking like when she wakes up? I mean, did she ever get in the habit of asking Joe if she needs to start packing some diapers? Are we going for a road trip, Joe? Verse 20 continues here. The angel says, uh, get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, because those who intended to kill the child, they are dead. So the angel repeats the same instructions to Joe from verse 13 nearly verbatim. Instead of going to Egypt, the angel tells Joseph to go to Israel. Um, The angel also tells Joe why he's going back to Israel. Verse 20 says, because those who intended to kill the child, they are dead. Now, many times, if not most of the time, God doesn't tell us why he does certain things. Um, you know, think about your earthly father or grandfather or your, your parent that raised you. Was he obligated to tell you everything that he was doing and why he was doing it? Of course not. But God does tell Joseph here. And in fact, God tells Joseph twice, but it's not so much with us. We learn this from watching Jesus and his disciples. Most of the time, Jesus didn't tell his disciples precisely what was going what was going on, what he was doing. 
Jesus said, look, you guys need to follow me. And Jesus turned around and he started walking. And they had the choice. Uh, Jesus expected people to follow him without complaining, without being interrogated as, as to where they're going. How long is this going to take, Jesus? Why are we going in the first place? Now, do we do that today? <laughs> Jesus is leading us somewhere today, or we don't know where he's leading, uh, but we don't want to go. Do we act like children in the back seat of, a, of the car on a family vacation? Asking, are we there yet? That's right, Gary. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Verse 21. So Joe got up, he took the child and his mother, and he entered the land of Israel. So it really should be no surprise to us at this point that Joe is immediately obedient. Last week we looked... Uh, we learned that the angel told Joseph to go, and he went. Now the angel tells him to return, so Joe does. Now that's a big lesson for us today. Living a life of obedience is, is a simple, godly life. But please don't make the mistake thinking that obedience equals a problem-free life. Uh, we're going to find that, find that out here in verse 22. But... When he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father, Joseph was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, Joe withdrew to the region of Galilee. So Joseph remains obedient here to the Lord's command through this angel. Joe most likely plans on going back to Bethlehem, which is that's located in Judea. Now, I would imagine that Joseph and Mary, they're pretty excited to go back home. I mean, wouldn't you think that? They, they've been away from family and friends for a few years. Many of their family and friends, they don't even know why they left in the middle of the night like they did. And it's at this moment that they hope that they're going to see family again. Maybe their lives will settle down from all this traveling, all this drama, all these surprises. So Joe and Mary, they start the journey back home. But they receive some unsettling news. Now, Joe knows that Herod's dead. But it's not his death that's the talk of the town here. Herod's, his actions, they're still lingering in Israel. Herod's a wicked, wicked man. Let me give you an example here. Herod had a propensity for provoking the Jews just for fun. And one of the dumb things that he did before he died is he set up this Roman eagle over the temple's gate. Now, that's a problem for the Jews. Think about the imagery there. Uh, when the Jews, when they walked into the temple, they first had to walk under this Roman eagle on their way to worship Yahweh, the one true living God. I mean, what kind of subliminal message is, is Herod sending there? That would be like someone setting up a statue of Buddha down here in our, on our property as you drive up to come and worship Jesus. Would anybody have a problem with that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we would have a problem with that. See, it's called idolatry, and it breaks one of God's top ten. Exodus 20, verse 4, God said, Look, don't make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above. Oh, I think an eagle qualifies for that. On the earth below or in the waters under the earth. So, obviously, the Jews are not happy about this. And two Jewish rabbis, they want to do something about it. 
they take down that idolatrous eagle above the temple's gates. Their, their names, Judas and Matthias. Now, these are rabbis. This is not Judas Iscariot. These men are, are rabbis. They decided to tear this thing down. So when Herod hears about it, he takes care of the situation like he's always taking care of the situation. He executes the rabbis. He just kills everybody that, that disagrees with him. So we fast forward to the very next Passover, and there, there's this Jewish insurrection that breaks out because of the murder of these rabbis, along with, with some other issues going on. A man named Archelaus steps in. Archelaus is Herod's son, and he reacts just like his daddy. Archelaus murders 3,000 Jews during that particular Passover because of the insurrection. Most of those people, by the way, they had nothing to do with the revolt. So we learn here that the rotten apple doesn't fall far from the rotten tree, does it? Now, the thing about Archelaus is that he was just as cruel as his father, but nowhere near capable. Uh, he was inept. He was basically a spoiled little boy with way too much authority. He eventually lost his job because he handled that revolt. Regardless, Joseph hears all this. This is front page news. Uh, it rattles him. It rattles Mary. So think about this. Things are not going better for Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. They're worse. So that brings us to key point number one. Obedience to God's will causes healthy tension in your life. Obedience to God's will causes healthy tension in your life. So Joseph and Mary, they would have been safer staying in Egypt from a, a practical human perspective. Isn't that amazing? God told them to go back to the land of, of Israel. Joseph is obedient, and yet Joe continues to deal with problem after problem after problem. Now, if you were Joseph, what would you be thinking? How much praying would you be doing? I mean, complaining would you be doing? I mean, worrying would you be doing? Come on, God. Man, can I catch a break here? I've been obedient. I, I don't understand what's going on. I'm taking care of your son the best way I can. What have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? What sin do I need to confess to make things right, God? And even though Joe doesn't understand what's happening at this moment, he is exactly where God wants him to be. Joe is safe in the arms of God, even though it doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. How do we know this? Matthew 2.22, well, he was afraid to go there. So we, we see that, that even though Joe is, is safe in the arms of God, he's still afraid. Now, Joe has a unique situation here. He's got an angel telling him what to do uh, through dreams. So that's pretty amazing that God would uh, teach and tell him what to do through angels, through dreams. Now, for us, that's a little bit different. We've learned that the primary way that God speaks to us today is through his word. Hebrews 1 tells us that. We read the word of God by the spirit of God. And when we do that, we get direction. We hear his voice. But let me ask you, what's the first thing that you do when you're afraid? Who's the first person that you speak with? Do you talk to anyone at all? 
or do you just keep all this bottle in? How many mentors do you have in your life to talk about these things? Who's discipling you one-on-one? Do you try to figure life out on your own? Where do you go for answers? What place? And why do you go there? And this is a great, this is a great question. Do you expect God to do everything for you? Do you expect God to do everything for you? Well, we see Joe get his answer in verse 22. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. So Joe has another dream here where God warns him to stay away from Archelaus. Now, why? Why does God do that? Well, because Bethlehem is only five miles from Jerusalem. Archelaus may want to finish what Herod started. So although Joe is afraid, he gets his answer, and he chooses to move through the fear and to keep going. He, he keeps traveling. So key point number two for us today, fear doesn't have to control or paralyze you. Fear doesn't have to control or paralyze you. So Joseph can change plans quickly here. He's got that, that personality. He keeps moving. He keeps the family going. He's leading in a godly way. He's able to adapt. You know, as the, the prophet John Wayne once said, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Joseph saddles up here. See, he's a teachable man. Joe is faithfully submissive to the Lord. So here we have a wise man. We've got Joe, who we know at this point, he's going to make a wise decision. The book of Proverbs has a lot to to say about wisdom. This is so good. Proverbs 8.33, listen to instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. See, Joseph listens. Proverbs 9.9, instruct the wise and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and he will learn more. So Joe continues to learn about God here with every godly decision that he's making. Proverbs 10.8, a wise heart accepts commands, but foolish lips will be destroyed. So we know that Joe accepted these commands because of his obedience. So a wise, godly person wants to be corrected. They, They want to learn more, and we see that here with Joe. So back to verse 22. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. So over time, these dreams, have you noticed? They're becoming less and less specific of what the dreams are and what the angel says. The tone here in verse 22 is that it's up to Joe where to live and where to go. Now, I find that really interesting. Why doesn't God tell Joe exactly where to go? Answer, because God trusts him. God trusts Joseph. Joseph has been tested repeatedly. And he's been proven worthy to be trusted. And by the way, that's the same with you and I. Many, many times we pray a prayer like this, right? God, please tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Just give me an outline. Give me, give me each step, and I, I promise I'll do it. Sometimes God does that. Most of the time, he doesn't. So, for example, you know, Lord, should I move across the country? Should I take that job? 
Is that what you want me to do? Lord, should I marry the girl? Is she the one for me? And God says, why doesn't God answer those kind of prayers? Why does God choose to remain silent? Is it possible that we misinterpret God's silence? We think that God's not listening, or maybe he's mad at us, or maybe he just doesn't care about little old me. I think a better question here, though, is, is it possible that God is inviting us to do something new? He's inviting us to do something new when he appears silent. And maybe he's inviting you to be quiet with him. Is it possible that God doesn't want to give you an answer, but he would rather give you himself in the form of a relationship as you grapple with what's going on in your life? Key point number three, God's silence is meant to grow us up into maturity. God's silence is meant to grow us up into maturity. So he's building spiritual muscle. So get this. Think about it. God is trusting you to make a good and godly decision that benefits you and the kingdom of God at the same time. See, we ask questions like, well, should I take the job, God? You want me to move? Should I marry the girl? Is she the one? And God answers through his word and through the church and and, and through prayer, and he says something like this. It's up to you. Regardless of what you choose, I'm going to be right there with you. And what God is saying to us is, I trust you. I trust you. So God is trusting Joe with where to live because Joe has proved himself faithful in the past. But we think to ourselves, well, wait, come on, Dustin, that, you know, this is Joseph. This is Joseph. What happens when I do this and I mess everything up? Aha, you will mess things up at times because you're just like everybody else. You got a bad case of the normals. But here's the thing. When you do mess it up, this is where the comfort of knowing God's word comes in. Key point number four, because it's not about feeling. It's about knowing. It's not about your feelings. It's about knowing. Romans 8, 28, we know all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Dear friends, do you know that? Do you have it in your bones? Do you love God? Has he called you to his purpose? Then you don't have a problem. See, God is the ultimate chess player. He's the chess master. Do you realize that God is with you with every breath that you take and every decision that you make? Even if it's a poor decision, he's still right there. It's not about how you feel. It's about what you know. Verse 23, so then Joe went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. So where is Joseph going now? He's going to Nazareth. Nazareth is outside of Archelaus' territory. It's about 55 miles north of Jerusalem. 
and a man named Antipas rules this part of Israel. Antipas was also the son of Herod the Great, so this is Archelaus's brother. Antipas is, is the one um, ruling all of this part of Galilee since, since Herod died. So basically, Herod the Great's territory got split up into four regions. So just when Joe and Mary, they were almost home, they're almost to Bethlehem, they now have another week of traveling in front of them with a child who is at least maybe two, maybe three years old at this time. So look what happens in verse 23, that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. So get this. This is amazing. <laughs> Joseph navigates through his problems so well that Joe's decision to settle in Nazareth actually fulfills what the Old Testament prophets said about Jesus being the Messiah. In other words, Joe's decision to settle in Nazareth was God's plan all along. Dang! That's cool! God is the ultimate chess player. He's not going to let you go if you're a child of God. Now, why Nazareth? Is there anything special about Nazareth? Is it some kind of super holy place? Well, Nazareth, it's, it's really this tiny little um, town um, in a hilly area in the southern part of Galilee. It's not really a town. It's more like a small village. Two interesting things about Nazareth. Number one, it was near a major intersection of trade routes, and number two, the Roman military unit in charge of Galilee was also located there. So when you combine these merchants and these traders traveling near Nazareth, along with the Roman military being stationed there, Nazareth, ironically, it was kind of this little hub of, of world news. News traveled fast to Nazareth. Now, the people who lived in Nazareth they had a kind of a certain attitude. It was an attitude of independence from the rest of Israel. There's a posture of defiance there. Uh, we, we learn this when Jesus goes and he tries to preach the gospel in Matthew 13. Uh, they, they, they choose not to believe, and, and Jesus can only do a few miracles there. So ironically, Nazareth, <laughs> it's not a holy place. It, really, it was really known for its crudeness and its violence, and the term Nazarene is a term of disrespect. Remember when, that, uh, when, when Nathaniel, when he said uh, to Philip, he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, so Nate knew Nazareth's reputation, just like everybody else. It would be kind of like us saying, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? They knew that. So look at verse 23 again. So Joe went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. So let me mention an issue here. The prophets said that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. So evidently, the prophets of the Old Testament were known to say that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene even though it's not recorded in Scripture. There, there's no verse to confirm or deny this. Now, this is not a problem, even though some people make it a problem. Matthew is referring to the general teaching of the prophets. He's not referring to a specific verse. 
So there's no cause for alarm if someone questions you on this of what the Old Testament or what the Old Testament prophets were, were saying. Um, what was recorded by the prophets is, is precisely what the Lord wanted. So Matthew is basically simply repeating the general message of the prophets that the Messiah would be lowly, he would be despised as a Nazarene. So I don't know, you know, I read this narrative and it seems like Joseph has this Holy Spirit filled GPS implanted in his brain. You know, the Spirit tells Joe to go, and he goes. The Spirit tells Joe to stay, he stays, and the Spirit once again tells him to go, and he, and he does. Then I think, wow, that's pretty cool. I wish God did that for me. I'm getting ready to do something stupid, and he says, uh, no, mm -mm, take a left, not a right. I would love that. And I started thinking about it, and he does. God does. Now, he doesn't do it in dreams, most likely, especially with the volume and the consistency of dreams that Joseph had. However, if you're a child of God, he does speak to you. The primary way that God speaks to you is through the Bible, Hebrews chapter 1. The problem is that we as a culture, we don't want to obey the Bible. We think God's commandments are suggestions, and we confuse sanctification with our salvation. Yeah, there, there's only one way to be saved. It is through Christ alone. Dear friends, salvation is based on works, just not yours. Salvation is based on the person and the work of Jesus Christ and Him alone. But Jesus is not going to do everything for you, especially when it comes to your sanctification. You have to join Him in that. You have to cooperate with Him. So think about this. Jesus wouldn't have returned to Nazareth if it weren't for Joseph's obedience. And it's rare to find someone who has this kind of obedience. Why was Joe so obedient to the Lord? Answer, because Joseph loved God. See, Joe had a, he had a different view of love than we do today. We confuse love with emotions. And Joe knew that the only way to love God was to submit and to obey to his commands. The same thing is true for us today, regardless of what the culture says. Jesus said this in John 14, 15. If you love me, you're going to keep my commands. Circle that word if, or just make a note there for John 14, 15. If, it's a conditional statement. I've got to join God in what he's doing. If you love me, you're going to do what I say. Does anybody need to preach on that verse? Is Jesus being subtle or ambiguous there? No, no. We, we need to choose obedience. And the great thing about Joseph this morning is that he is a model for obedience. Joe knew that God's timing was perfect, so when the angel said go, Joe went. Many of us, we tend to believe the lie that when, when God says go, that we know is God saying go to us, that we, have, we just have all the time in the world, that it's up to us when we go. But that's not true. Either we obey or we disobey. Our decision is, is either of faith or it's of unbelief. 
And many, many times we are unprepared when God tells us to go. But see, Joseph was prepared, and he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He brought his, his family safe home uh, to their new home. Now, we want to be careful here, uh, especially when it comes to the obedience or disobedience to God. If we're disobedient to God, our disobedience could, and most likely many times, it impacts the lives of others. So when God speaks, keep in mind, guys, it's out of the context of eternity. There are implications, not just to us, but to those around us for our disobedience. I mean, imagine what would happen if, if Joe, this last time around, said, yeah, no thanks, I'm kind of done, I'm traveling, I like Egypt better. We, we can have bacon here. I like Egypt. I'm not going. Imagine what would have happened. Could anything good come out of that? Well, God will make it good, Romans 8, 28. But no, that would have been a, not a, a good move for, for Joseph. Now, next week, we're going to meet someone who knows what obedience looks like. We're going to meet a new character in, in Matthew's gospel. His, his name is John the Baptizer, a.k.a. Crazy John. Why is he crazy? Well, you have to come back next Sunday and find out. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your continued teaching on obedience. Thank you for showing us, Lord, that, that our obedience is tied to love. Thank you for teaching us what it means when we experience times of silence, and it seems to us that you're, you're not speaking and what that truly means. And lastly, Lord, thank you for the difference, for showing us the difference between our feelings and knowing, that we are to know and know and know and believe what you say in your word versus trusting how we feel about your word. Lord, I pray for more divine disruptions this week. I pray for more God intersections, that this little church on the hill will spread the good news and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, all, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.